Hi, I'm Robert Brooks Cohen. I host the podcast Two Bi Guys. I am one bi guy, and you're listening to The Leftscape, the shape of progressive conversation. I am Wendy Sheridan, and you are listening to The Leftscape, The Shape of Progressive Conversation. Hi, and I'm Robin Renee. Welcome to episode 153. As you may or may not know, The Leftscape podcast is by, for, and about progressives and those who want to join the conversation. We feature interviews, commentary, culture, a little bit of news, and plenty of personal geekery. And we thank you very much for listening. (laughs) That's right. And in this episode, we'll share my conversation with Robert Brooks Cohen, who is the host of Two Bi Guys podcast and the author of the new book, Bisexual Married Men, Stories of Relationships, Acceptance and Authenticity. It was really fantastic to finally meet and talk to him. And I'm just really excited to, to share this conversation. But before that, we have a Why Is This Awesome segment, and I get to rave about going to see Young Gun Silver Fox live in Washington, D.C. And yay, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm already going to start telling you why it's awesome. So I'm going to hold off and you can hear it later in the show. Cool, cool. So how was your winter break? It was both long and not long enough in some ways. <laughs> I took an actual break, you know, I I don't know how much our listeners know, but you know, when we have a longish break, we usually maybe take a week and a half or two weeks off actually, and then (laughs) really get back to, back to the grindstone in terms of putting together the next season and, and all that kind of stuff, you know, and we obviously did some work on that we're not we don't have a clueless <laughs> season coming not, up but not completely I, no but but i did, i really did need to peace out for a while i've just had a lot going on in life so it was good to do that you know i took some time away from my radio show for a couple of weeks too and just kind of regrouped which was healthy i think that's um, cool yeah and i do want to mention one of the things that that, that happened is one of our Former show guest John Cecil Price passed away in at the beginning of this month, so that was hard on me. He was a, a good friend. He definitely lived a passionate life <laughs> and, uh, and was just a really great guy. So we will definitely. I think we did repost the link of our interview with him, but you know I might re- redo that again in this show notes as well. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And how about you? What was your winter break like? I- Honestly, don't even remember at this point. (laughs) We're in like fake spring right now in New Jersey. Sort of. Yeah, not even. I don't know. I, it was a winter. I did a lot of painting. I chilled, watched a lot of TV, did, made some clothes out of yarn, bought yarn. (laughs) You know, it's. I, my routine did not change much and 
I don't know. I guess my daughter and I started a new routine towards the end of last year and, you know, where she's coming over here and helping me get my mother's books out. And we've been publishing about one a month. And I think this month we're going to miss a deadline because I was reading a book and I'm waiting I'm waiting to see if I'm going to actually release this one because ah, mom was writing about gypsies and using Thanks. the G word all over the place. I mean, this was written in 1987 when people didn't care that that was not a word that the Romani liked to be referred to as. Right. And Most people so, probably didn't know that even. It was just. That's what I'm saying. In, it was just in use. Yeah. Yeah. So I have to, I'm like, I, I was in the middle of that book and I go, you know what, let me just push this one to the end because I don't know if, you know, cause it's not Mark Twain. She's not Mark Twain. This isn't Tom Sawyer. I don't know if it needs to be republished or if I need to, to change the language, you know, and it's like, let me just get the other ones done first before I worry about this. And then I'm going to go talk to some friends of mine who are Romani and Romani adjacent and ask them point blank, should I release this book? or not mm -hmm. and you know and that and that'll be the end of that and that was pretty much my winter you know it's my it's just like for now it's like oh i have to plant my seeds i have to make sure i turn the light on on the green you know in the <laughs> the tower of plants so they don't die and and that's kind of what i did it's so good stuff you know. yeah. yeah consistency is is a good thing too you know <laughs> so Awesome. Well, what, right. uh, is there anything you learned in this last fortnight? Oh, yes. I learned that if you stack all of the world's bacteria on top of each other, it would stretch for 10 billion light years. <laughs> That's not <laughs> even conceivable. Like, I can't. It would wrap around the galaxy like five times or something, like our entire galaxy. Right. So, <laughs> it, so lots and lots of little tiny things are a lot. That's a lot. Yes. <laughs> oh boy. And we have enough. Some t eventually, we're going to have a conversation about all these funny measurements. I think, right? For for oh Patreon god, yes, or yes, that's good. Yes, that's going to be a Patreon post on on units of measure, that's where right. where I will convert washing machines to giraffes or something like that. <laughs> I, I... <laughs> nice. Well, I learned. Just recently, actually, in the last few days, which I found fascinating, that skunks are able to carry about 15 milliliters of their malodorous fluid, just enough for five or six successive sprays, and it re they require up to 10 days to produce another supply. Wow. I, I, I think malodorous fluid is a good band name. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to work on that, that set list. <laughs> Oh, okay. So uh, we're going to get into all of the news we can handle. And we're, I think we're going to, we're going to try something a little different this season, right? We're going to, yeah. we're going to get in depth. We didn't quite organize it the way I was hoping. And it's my fault anyway, but we're going to start. So we're breaking our news into two two-ish segments the first is just the tip which is just kind of headlines and very minimal commentary and then we go in deep on a few pieces of news <laughs> so 
Oh, metaphor. This is what happens when you leave things up to me. <laughs> There's right. a 13 year old boy in, in my head giggling madly. So, <laughs> but, but in all seriousness, I think part of the thing that, you know, as we develop the show, there's we find that certain things I know that people like to hear us talk about the news to some degree because we're kind of just working things out like everybody else we're not pundits or anything like that just sort of figuring out how to deal with everything and and lear learn what we can learn but also it's it's exhausting and I, I we know that the news exhausts other people too so we're interested in in things and we're also interested in figuring out the most productive ways to listen to and, and discuss all these things. Yes. So we we'll, might switch around a little bit and we'll see how yes, things work. Yes. And, and our first Just the Tip segment is probably we're going to talk a little bit about it anyway. It's about the Alabama Supreme Court's recent ruling that says frozen embryos are now people or children. And I know it's been all over everybody's news and the media and people are outraged about this, but... I have to, I just have to say that our friend Dax, David Axelrod, commented on my, when I posted about this on Facebook, he pointed out that to be a citizen of the United States, one has to be born or naturalized. And these frozen embryos are neither of those things. So that makes them undocumented migrants. <laughs> so... Uh, you know, I, I know we're all, they're all, there's all this screeching about the border and immigration and stuff like that. So technically, and technically correct is the best kind of correct, <laughs> <laughs> according to Futurama, <laughs> that these, these embryos are undocumented migrants. So <laughs> there you go. That's pretty funny. And yeah, carrying these things to their logical conclusion can really put a fine point on it. Uh. And by the way, David Axelrod that Wendy refers to is not the former senior advisor to Obama, oh, yeah. just, oh just to make sure. Yeah. Yes. Yes. This is a he totally was... different David Axelrod. Yes, he's, he was my bass player in Music for the Gods. <laughs> right. <laughs> not, not anyone in the Obama administration. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that correction. I forget. I forget that people all have the same names everywhere. So. <laughs> right. So another headline. Also, everyone probably knows that Alexei Navalny, who was the kind of main nemesis of Putin, has died in prison. Died, quote unquote. Well, he's dead. I mean, yes, but, that's technically uh, true, too. <laughs> uh, in but, quotes, um, should be like of natural causes. Yeah, not so much. You know, he, he yeah. actually survived, you know, he survived being poisoned. And, and I think what there a couple of attempts on his life um, in the past, while well, he, he even when he was out of the country, was not in Russia at the time. And he returned to Russia, really knowing that he would be arrested. So I, I think you know, he's a martyr for a cause, really. And yeah. there's just been lots of commentary about him. And the, the most recent was that it looks as though he was going to be released in a prisoner exchange, like the day after he was killed. So, of course, that's a thing that happened. Yeah. 
And unfortunately, I have to say right now, I think we might have to put Jim Carroll's song, People Who Died, on our show notes or something, because a lot of my news <laughs> yeah. just happens to be about people who died this time. <laughs> I didn't Man. plan it that way, but that's what is happening. So. Ay, ay, ay. Okay. Yeah. In, and another headline is, Hungary approved Sweden's NATO bid, making Sweden the 32nd country to join that alliance, and that deal will be finalized as soon as this week. I know Sweden, I think, asked a couple of years ago to join NATO. And mm-hmm. you know, I guess it, like once once Russia really started invading Ukraine is when Sweden was getting nervous. Because if you look at a map, Sweden and Russia kind of share a border. Right. So I understand why they would want to form an alliance with a bunch of other countries that, to stand against Russia. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's good. Yes. And there are Trump trials galore. Trump um, has been ordered to pay really over half a billion dollars between the the E. Jean Carroll case in New York about the sexual assault and his uh, defamation. Really, this was about the subsequent defamation in this most recent trial. And also the financial fraud case where the Trump organization inflated their value and deflated Mm. it when needed in terms of, you know, getting loans and whatnot. And he is supposed to, at least the last I heard, he's been told that he needs to put these funds into escrow. Right. Um, if you, if he's going to appeal, like they, the funds need to be somewhere. He's got to he's got to pay the fine regardless. Right. Yeah. And, and I remember reading Letitia James saying she has no problem like taking his buildings right if he can't if he can't if he can't come up with the cash (laughs) and then he started selling gold sneakers so oh the gold that's another that's another whole story i could go on a rant about that (laughs) to raise cash to pay this to put in escrow (laughs) right you know the scientists in antarctica have developed their own accent after being isolated for six months which i think was really cute Wow. I, I don't know what it sounds like, but just those group of scientists just being together on their own for six months and not talking to anybody else, they started they started to develop their own accent. That's like a distinct Antarctic accent. And they're from different countries or <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's... They are and for different areas in the same country or whatever. And uh-huh. and I think one of the people that's noticing this and studying this is saying, Well, this is this would be this is a useful thing to figure out how different accents arise in different other areas, you know? Yeah, and, I love it. It would be funny if they all like came out talking like Valley Girls or something. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that would be the accent of all things. Um, but that's, no, that's seriously, that's pretty cool. And I love the fact that Beyonce broke the internet with <laughs> Texas Hold'em. It, it's just, I, I think it's, really beautiful to just that somebody as famous as her just busted out a country record that's excellent (laughs) that went to number one and has you know it it, it introduces a lot of people to sounds they would never hear it pissed Mm. off people who think she doesn't have a right to make this music which that is also awesome yeah I, I... (laughs) I, i i just think it's great and i'm welcoming all of the both learning and exploration and just things that can happen based on 
creative people being creative <laughs> publicly. So, yes. Yes. And now it's time to go in deep. So for this next segment, we thought it would be a good idea to try to sort of hone in on a couple of topics that feel like really resonate with us and things that we follow on our own anyway and, and really want to talk about and learn more about and hopefully find some things that we can do in the world as well. And not all not all of our stories will have that, but oh, no, that's an aspect I, of... I fell short this week, so <laughs> that's fine. <laughs> no, I mean, that, you so. know, but it, it's, it's, as we said, it's a work in progress, but I really wanted to think a lot about the LGBTQ community and news, r- related news. So I thought at first it would just be good to acknowledge the passing of two really great bi activists that, that left us in the last couple of months. Sheila Lambert, who is someone that I've, known since the 90s at least yeah since the early 90s and she was a lifelong new york new yorker i believe yes she was the founder and director of the bisexual book awards she wrote for everyone from huffington post to the advocate to after ellen after elton and just was well let's see she put out a collection of best buy short stories i believe and was working on a collection of poetry and she's published her own things as well this was a, a an anthology that some people are picking up and hoping to get that published i guess she'd been ill for a while i wasn't as aware of things more recently so it was kind of a not great surprise i would say and another person we lost is a billy jones henin who was a great bi activist from the dc area and i hope I'm saying his name correctly. He, he, he was a really great guy. I did not know him as well, but every interaction I had was really wonderful. And he co-founded the National Coalition of Black Gays in Columbia, Maryland in 1978. I think Black and White Men Together was another group he started and became very activist, a very part of the bi community too as well in his activism and his work. And he was tireless and he was 81 years old. So mm. Yeah, so I just want to say that was a life well-lived as well. On, by contrast, a life that was way, way too short, a young student in Oklahoma passed away just recently, just this month. Next Benedict was a non-binary student and got into an altercation with some girls at the school where they were going after a lot of harassment as as far as anyone can sort of figure out and i think it seems that some people didn't know the extent of the harassment that was happening others may have known and didn't just were looking the other way or something like that people are still fact finding about this i guess is what i will say about it mm. i know that it seems like they were being harassed and then they threw some water and then got jumped and this whole thing and then they wound up dying the next day they went to the hospital that day and went and passed away the next day like after being released so i don't know if it was like a trauma you know a trauma or we i don't have the the answer for that yet but it obviously is very deeply upsetting to the lgbtq community at large and 
for me, I think as uh, someone who identifies as gender fluid and non-binary, it's, it's jarring to, I guess because we didn't have words for it until very, relatively recently, hearing those terms in the news in conjunction with people being, you know, harassed and killed perhaps is disturbing. <laughs> it's more, dis- I mean, you know, all, it's always disturbing. It's always disturbing. And, and I think it's, it, it's just hitting home in a way, you know, yeah, more so than even usual. And, and, and I try not to tune out these stories because there, it's unfortunately there's so many that happen like like shootings you know in the united states we're like oh yeah, yeah another mass shooting but i actually think there were some shootings that i am unaware about because people every once in a while i see a post god damn it i hate guns and i go and i don't i mean if it was like a couple of years ago i'd go pursue that yeah. by looking up see what okay who got shot today or kind of thing but i'm not even doing that anymore it could have been the the super bowl celebration in Kansas City, that was one place that that happened. But oh my anyway, god, really? Okay. Yeah. But so I was just trying to think about and look for what can we do about these things. Obviously, continuing to be visible, and which is scary, you know, given the result of being visible sometimes. But I think it's important, you know. And in this case in particular. The parents of Next Benedict have put together a GoFundMe, which was really meant to just help pay for the funeral costs, and that goal was $15,000, and they are now up to $152,418, which is wild. Yeah. And I'm glad that, you know, people reached out to help. So what they've said is that, you know, that they will, the rest of the money will go to other children dealing with the right to be who they are. So that's nebulous, but I'm hoping that they get directed to a charity or an organization that really does help queer people, queer youth. But I will keep an eye on that to see what what develops in that regard. And uh, the other thing about this story is that the, the GoFundMe is in the dead name of Next. Which a lot of people, you know, really got upset about, and understandably. But then the parents sort of posted a comment, and they said, you know, we at this time are thankful for the ongoing support and did not expect the love from everyone. We're sorry for not using the name correctly, and as parents, we are still learning the correct forms. Please do not judge us, as Next was judged. Please do not bully us for our ignorance on the subject. Next gave us that respect, and we are sorry in our grief that we overlooked them. I lost my child. The headstone will have the correct name of their choice. And then they just went on to say that the, wow. how the money will be spent. So it's kind of like learning in real time in grief. And it just really struck me as, as powerful, the whole, the whole thing. So, but I will put the link to that. Um, GoFundMe and rest in peace. Uh, next, really yes. beautiful human uh, gone really, really too soon. Yes. In other LGBTQ news, there's going to be a section out sexuality and gender questions on a census query that's going out. This is, it's not like the, the whole, like it, every 10 year census. No, it's not the official mandated by the constitution census. This is 
fact gathering by the census department right exactly they can do they can do a, a smaller statistical sample rather than asking everybody right exactly so this these test questions will be sent to 480,000 households and it goes along with questions that are being asked like things about your commuting times and internet access and family life income education levels disabilities uh, military service and things like that and these questions are like for for everyone gender question one what sex was what sex was this person assigned at birth? And the possible answers are male or and female. And then for people, it looks like age 15 and older, what is your current gender? And then possible answers are male, female, transgender, non-binary. And then this person uses a different term and they, you can fill that out. Then there'll be some other questions and coming on as well. So I have, I my my gut reaction to this is, is very mixed feelings <laughs> I don't know how you feel about it Wendy I don't know I am interested in knowing how many people consider themselves non-binary I don't know I think just from an overall perspective it would be interesting to know how many people are trans mm -hmm. and you know how many people you know it just just from a demographic point of view, because, you know, you know, I'm sure they even ask about religion, you know, because they say, you know, 2%, 1% of the population is pagan or mm -hmm. Wiccan or something, you know, and, and I, where do they get that number? You know, it's, but I mean, if they're going to use this information to better serve these populations, then I'm very, I'm for it. If they're going to use this information to decide how big of a camp they, you know, a, a detention camp they need to build, then I'm not for it. You know what I mean? It, right. It's all going to depend on what they do with the information. Right. Um, I feel I, I feel like my my response was like I, I would like to know who the next president is before I decide how I feel about these questions. And I know that, <laughs> that is not the only factor it, by a long shot, but it's I a, know. It's it's the litmus test that came into my mind. That's you know, base. I think you're basically saying the same thing I did. Yes. in different different ways. <laughs> right, right. So, I don't know. It's it's the, it's there. Yeah. I mean, just the fact of talking about these things more openly, I think, is an overall good thing. Am I ready to put that detail on a, on a U.S. questionnaire? Well, I don't know. It's a, they're they're saying this is going to be anonymized, yeah. or is it? I mean, if it, if it's, you know, in the regular census, it's not really anonymous. Right. I didn't, I don't believe so because they're, they're saying like. No, it's not anonymous in the, in the 10 year census. That's not anonymous. Right. And, and my understanding was that question is like your, the person's name is right there. So it's, you're just, you're answering well, the question like as yourself. Yeah. Well, you're supposed to answer it for your household. You know, right. they'll ask you about everybody living in the household and what their genders and everything is and yeah the fact that it's not anonymous is kind of scary and yeah i in this particular climate that we have right now it feels a little invasive and and it's scary because that information especially if it's not anonymous can be used to very 
bad effects. So, yeah. Yeah. So I so, guess we'll see. Yeah, yeah. So far, my choice has been, you know, I, in conversation and everywhere else, I'm certainly very Googleable. I identify as queer and, you know, non-binary and all those things. On my driver's license, it just says an F because I feel like they probably need to know like what body parts to most likely expect if something bad happened to me Okay, <laughs> is more the point. You know what I mean? And also if you just get pulled over and, you know, I, I yeah. don't, it just seems like driving while black is complex enough. That yeah. would be another thing. So I have, I've left it the way it is. And I think that's fine for, for that legal aspect of things, you know. So anyway, right. what else? So the Supreme Court heard arguments today about whether social media companies have the right to censor posts or throw people off the platform. These cases will determine whether state governments or tech companies have the power to set the rules for what posts can appear on popular social networks. It seems to hinge on whether a social media platform like Facebook, Reddit, or X Twitter. I like calling it X Twitter because it's not Twitter anymore. So. Right, exactly. <laughs> are more like private companies like broadcasters or newspapers, or if they're more like a utility like the phone company. And one of the reasons this is heading to the Supreme Court is because there were two separate cases, one in Florida and one in Texas. And the Florida Supreme Court decided that the social media companies were like broadcasters or newspapers and did and did have the right to determine they had the right to determine the editorial content and i'm putting that in quotes of of what goes on the platform and texas said no you guys are like a utility you're like the phone company so you can't censor anybody you, everybody has to be able to say whatever they want on there. So you have, and and interestingly, both of the judges that made these opposing decisions are both Trump appointees. So, you know, that is an interesting little factoid. But now the Supreme Court has to kind of decide which of these rulings is right. Mm-hmm. So... So they heard arguments today. They probably, we probably won't know till June what their decision is. The Post reported about the questioning and it sounded from reading the Post's, the Post's analysis of what had gone on during, during the arguments today that many of the justices were leaning towards giving the social media companies the ability to determine what goes on on their, on their platforms. Of course, I think Clarence Thomas was not in that camp. Uh, see my that's... shocked. See my shocked face. Yes, your shocked Pikachu face. Yes. Right. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's an important decision. It, yeah. It's it is, and especially in an election year. I mean, we've already had enough. We've already we've already seen that foreign actors you know will will get onto our social media and and try to manipulate us right right and you know and this and i like to think that the platforms are doing what they can to stop that you know i i don't know i don't know 
But, yeah. I think it really depends on the, a lot depends on the philosophy of the owners of yes. the site and the the people with the sway, the biggest sway in terms of how things are dealt with, that's for sure. You know, and I don't love all of the censorship on Facebook. I, I always see people going like, what happened? What did I say? I'm, I'm in Facebook jail. I don't know why, <laughs> you know? So yeah. I think that that happens sometimes like a, a an algorithm or something will pick up on a word that someone uses that isn't really anything, but it, it winds up, you know, they, they wind up mysteriously censored. But then other yes. times there's some real shit that we don't need yes. on, on there, you know? Yes. So I, I kind of, yeah, yeah, I know. I mean, they're not, they're out, they're policing algorithm, their moderation algorithm leads a lot to be desired. And it certainly doesn't take context into account in any way or sarcasm. Right. So, you know, and on um, YouTube, a lot of people that are just really giving information need, they're just certain words that you can't use. And so they find these other weird phrases to describe yeah. something, you know, which, yeah, which unalive. Is, un, yes, exactly. Here's one. Yeah. That, yeah, you didn't used to hear that before. And now, and now I know why, you know, that's using the K word put me in Facebook jail when I was talking about, you know, I, if I could go back in time to do a thing. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, this was a completely hypothetical thing, like, because time travel does not exist. So, you know, anyway. And this other news piece that I have is not really part of my wheelhouse, but I just, I was reading it today and I was like kind of blown away at how crazy it was. During the pandemic, there was a man married to a woman who worked for the mergers and acquisitions department of British Petroleum and surreptitiously listened on, uh, got on to listen, was listening to a phone call she was having with, with her team about a particular merger that was going to happen. And she didn't know he was on, he was listening in and he wasn't supposed to be listening in. And that's because she was working at home because of COVID. So he took this information and did some insider trading and made $1.7 million on the deal. And afterwards he finally confessed, confessed to his wife who then immediately went to her boss and the sec and, and told on him the BP fired her anyway. And then she basically came home and moved out and filed for divorce. So, and I, and I think the SCC is, has prosecuted this man, which is why it's coming out in, in the news now after t four years, because I'm, I'm assuming, <laughs> I'm assuming all of the legal, the legal machinery is finally ground to the point where he's like in deep, deep shit. So wow. don't do things. <laughs> don't do things. But also don't... that's some like really impressive honesty. Yeah, I, well, you know? there's probably going to be a movie about this at some point. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, a lot of people might just take the money and run, or oh yeah, or would, or something, some other. It would be some other solution other than just well, I'm sure reporting you know, maybe, it. But that's that's integrity. That's you know, maybe seriously. the wife like says, "Where the hell did this money come from?" And he, you know, right, right. And he, he had to tell her. But who that knows? Interesting. But they're yeah. not married anymore. Right, <laughs> so. right. 
Well, yeah, because um, especially she wound up losing her job over it too, which is yeah, wow. that really sucks. It does. You try to be honest, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, wow. Ah, uh, anyway. Interesting. And our final news story of this episode is that there there's a, a deep sea explorer company that thinks they have found Amelia Earhart's airplane in the ocean. Wow. They haven't gone down to dig it up yet, but they they made the discovery with sonar and the profile looks like a plane of the right size somewhere in the Pacific. And if it is her plane, then we will finally know what happened to her instead of just this conjecture. So that was, I don't know that that's uplifting, but it's something. It's interesting. <laughs> it's closure. closure. Yeah. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Wow. We watched John Oliver's show on Sunday the 19th, 18th, 18th of February, where that was concentrating on Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Justice Thomas has a lot of pride in in his basically a very fancy tour bus that his the one he has is worth like a quarter of a million dollars which you know in tour bus terms is nice and he really gets into it he likes it a lot they did a segment on him on some news profile for him he's driving around in it and they show clips of that during during last week tonight but at the end of the show john oliver has made the offer to Clarence Thomas that if he retires from the bench within the next 30 days of this broadcast, he will give him a million dollars a month or a year. Was he a year? year right? Yeah, a million dollars a, a year. Month? Oh my God. <laughs> oh, I, 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 he would do it for that. He have money, but I don't think he's got that much money. He would give him a million dollars a year for the rest of either of their, whoever dies first. And. This $2 million tour bus. That was a great deal I, sweetener at the end there. I thought this was fucking amazing. And, Claire, and, and Clarence Thomas would be an idiot not to take this. <laughs> and, and that's why I wanted to have John Oliver be our inaugural lefty of the week. <laughs> it is clever. Absolutely. I mean, I, I love it. I love it. Do you have like a, a, a general synopsis of why you think John Oliver is awesome? Because I think he's awesome too. In terms of the lefty of the week, he has consistently brought topics or to, to the attention of the general public that are frequently overlooked or aren't taken, not, not necessarily seriously, but not taken as important, you know, and he's been doing last week tonight, what is it for 10 years now? I believe so, yeah. Something like that, yeah. And all of the shows have been educational, at least, you know, for me, I've always learned something new. And this is honestly, it's like humor is one of the ways we deal with overwhelmingly shitty information. It's one of these things like, you know, if you, it's like either you have to laugh or you have to kind of open your veins. It, you know, I'd rather be laughing. You know, you laugh while until you cry. He can present really serious subjects 
in a way that you don't end up feeling like a shit person because this is happening in the world. I mean, there's some things that you, you know, you, you know, he can avoid a lot of unnecessary white guilt without and, and telling us about stuff. You know, yeah, that's one of the things I, that's, I can't even describe it better. Well, he, he, he definitely shows that he's aware of all of the complexities that happen. He he will frequently make fun of his own, you know, British heritage and accent and and, and his presentation in the world and things like that. And knows (laughs) that it's an advantage and, and, you know, and that's good because he's using it for something positive, you know, but he also totally gets the, you know, of yes he's he's using and this i think what he did this week was use his privilege in such an amazing way that's why john oliver is the lefty of the week for me i say that's a very good nomination he's yes why is this Well, welcome to Why Is This Awesome? And this is the segment where we talk to each other about something that one of us experienced or did or saw that we think is awesome and we share it. (laughs) (laughs) And today it's your turn. That's right. That's right. On February 5th, I went to see Young Gun Silver Fox with a friend of mine, a longtime friend of mine, and I met up with a friend that I'd only met online before. And her friend. And so that was a fun, it was a fun night out. And they did a they're great a performance. Yes, they are. Okay. They're a duo. Officially, they're a duo. And they have, you know, like supporting musicians with them. So, yeah. So, Young Gun Silver Fox is Andy Platts and Sean Lee. And Andy Platts is from the UK. They're both, I guess they all, both live in London now. But he's from the UK. Sean Lee is American. And okay. they kind of look the part of their name. Andy Platts is the younger one and Sean Lee has like long sort of silvery hair and he's the older one. Okay. <laughs> so yes, I, I, think, I think their name is Apropos. Just they're considered a, well, they are a London based yacht rock duo formed in 2012. Oh. So it's like, it's like new yacht rock basically. Now um, I know why you went. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it's one of those things where and it's great, you know, I've been I've been like sort of hearing them tangentially in Yacht Rock Discord group where I hang okay. out. But I just recently sort of immersed in them a lot more and they're really it's like feel good music in a way that I think I think I need that right now. Hmm. <laughs> you know. Okay. Well I yeah, the world kinda needs that. Honestly. Yeah. Just relax and feel like you're near a palm tree for a minute, you know. <laughs> but but, yes, but, but while, they're also while we're all while we're all sitting here with the the six inches of snow that's melting away outside my window. Oh wow! Tree. I'm very I, we are very like the opposite of palm trees right now. Where I am at the moment, we got just a little sprinkle, but it's not it didn't accumulate. So yeah. But I, I, I like, there's like really deep musicality in Young and Silver Fox. Like Andy Platts is an amazing vocalist. They both, they, their harmonies are excellent together. He does most of the lead singing and, and it's just 
I don't know. It's it's sort of transforming in a way. It's nice. It's just really really good to hear. And and it's like their productions. They they're not like trying to copy the '70s, but they really kind of embody the music of that of that happened in that moment somehow. Okay. And they actually met on MySpace, which is funny. <laughs> and sort of. I guess they realized like, wait, this is this guy's doing something like what I'm kind of doing, and then they they connected over online. That so way. this is like they met like in the late '90s, turn of the century. They or... met. It says uh, 2005. So I guess okay, yeah, that well, that's around. turn of the century. Yeah, I mean, basically. I know that yeah. feels it feels like a million years ago. I mean, I I was not to digress too far, but I realized it's like. I was in high school 50 years ago, and I'm still trying to wrap my brain around that. And that's the 70s, so... Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. It's like, oh my god. Anyway. Right. The, the club was really cool, too. I went down to D.C. And... Oh, wow. That was a commitment. It's not like, you know, you went down the street to a venue. You, like, got on the road for this. Yes, <laughs> yes, I did. And so it worked out perfectly because I wanted to go see my friend Amy, who is a patron. Hi, Amy. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and also Lady Lady, who I know from from the Discord. And we just have never met in person, but we've, like, talked so much, like, online and everything that it just was perfect that, you know, she's down in that area. And, and oh, wow. Yeah, okay. so we all got together. And so that was good. It was, like, meeting friends and forging new friendships in some ways, in, in real life anyway. And, and the, what's the, where did you go? What was the venue? The venue is the Atlantis. And okay. this was a cool club. It actually is, I believe, it's the old site of the 930 Club, and the 930 Club expanded okay. and, and is nearby now. I actually have heard of the 930 Club, so yeah. Yeah, I, I think they're <laughs> I think kind I of actually like, might have gone there once. I don't know. I don't think I may have gone there one time years ago, but it's it's sort of like I think of it as maybe like a an Irving Plaza type place if you're in new york mm. like the similar bands would play yeah yeah kind of okay yeah and so it was a really like the the area like right by, by the stage was pretty small and so you know you could there was no like bad place to stand kind of you know which was nice except maybe behind like a super tall person but we, we found our spot <laughs> <laughs> and then there were a couple there were floors where you could go up and there were bars above and like balconies right. where people could hang out and stuff and an outdoor like rooftop hangout which was it was just warm enough to be able to stay out there for a little while and wow. uh, kind of have feel like I was out in the world a bit which was nice so yeah they definitely are very very much worth checking out and I think let's see I think their latest album is called Ticket to Shangri-La and what okay. else can I say about that? Um, Still Got It Going On is a great song. West Side Jet is a great song from this album. Too. Winners is a great song from this latest album. Um, but are they all yacht rock? Or is it, is there are some of them yachts? Um, <laughs> I don't know. That, I mean, if I were to check the official yacht or yacht, Maybe some of them that didn't make the boat, but it's hard for me to hear anything that doesn't make the boat from from my ear. 
Okay. I think and I love making, not making the boat right. as thin. <laughs> I love that. There's a whole lingo. <laughs> I know. It, and I don't, I, I, and when you, when you drop them in conversation, it just delights me. Like, <laughs> it's so cool. That's funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was very cool. And oh, and we, we got to meet them. They kind of came out very shortly after, after they played, you know. Oh, that's cool. So Amy and I got pics with them, and, you know, I said, I said, next time, please come to Philly, <laughs> you know, I will travel <laughs> to see them, but I also hope they come to Philadelphia. And one of the things, another thing that I thought was really cool about the Young Gun Silver Fox show was the audience, actually. Oh, yeah? Yeah, it was interesting to, to look around and not really have, like, I didn't, I, I couldn't think of a discernible way to describe their audience. It just was really? a lot of different, okay. a lot of different people, and that's unusual in, in some ways, you know. Like I know, I, I was thinking not that long ago about you know music audiences being monochrome or a certain type of person or whatever, and this was it was interesting. It was very interesting to see, and I, I wondered if it was because just because DC is so diverse. Oh well, there's that. There's that, you know. But well, it was was it. Was it like age and age and color and other things? Kind of plumage? Yeah, plumage. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what else to call it, you know. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was sort of like that. I mean, I would say that their audience was maybe mainly millennial, I'm guessing, but not, not by... But I didn't feel like, oh my god, I'm here with all these, like, it wasn't like really young people or something like that or no, I wasn't like going to like a Frank Zappa fan thing where it's like uh, it's just all a bunch of really old guys or something like that you know? <laughs> like there are weird things that you definitely would notice with certain groups but it was I mean yeah it was racially diverse age wise I would say to, to, to at least a reasonable degree like I was, it's it's funny because I wasn't even really particularly thinking about it, and then I started looking around. I was like, "This is this is cool." Like I don't, it's not like they're like it seems like maybe they're truly indie in the fact that they're n- there's not a label behind them that's like pitching them only to some narrow group or something. Right, like that. right, right. Yeah, and, you know. So that was fun, and it was nice to be in a space like that. It, I was, I was in a space like that but it was a it was the pablo jazz festival okay and there were you know and this is like everybody i'm going to list is dead now you know it was you know uh, dizzy gillespie and oscar peterson and and joe pass on the guitar and tom spielman on the harmonica and count basie and Count Basie and Oscar Peterson played a piano duet, which was amazing. That is amazing. I'm like <laughs> swooning hearing about this. this yeah, cool. but I mean, you know, I was there with my with my first husband, and we were in our early 20s, you know, this yuppie couple, and we're sitting right next to like an elderly black couple, and we're having this great conversation with them, and it was all ages and colors in that audience, and, and that was... And it was at a fancy, I think it was, God, was it? It was probably in D.C. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, it might Maybe be, it might be D.C. Connection. It may be the D.C. thing. I don't know. Yeah. But, yeah, that well, was that was a fun night. 
That is cool. <laughs> I will look forward to seeing them in other places because I was just thinking if they come to Philly next time, I probably would still go to D.C. and see them again anyway, just to sort of uh-huh. travel with them a bit. But it was funny because out of contrast, it, it reminded me of this time when I went to the Beacon Theater in New York. At least... I mean, it was three times in a pretty close succession. I don't know if it was three times in a week, but maybe a couple, few weeks or something. Okay. And I saw Warren Zevon, and that was like a very mostly male kind of, kind of, not rough crowd, but like a, like a part, like a party in guy it was like a guy's concert you know like a frat like a frat concert not that bad but it was in that in that universe in some ways you know okay and then i saw the indigo girls and that was all like young lesbians (laughs) (laughs) and then i saw laurie anderson and that was kind of like artistic people dressed in black you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) i can see that it was very interesting. I was like, wow, and I'm at all three of these things, you know. <laughs> but but it was they're very, very different crowds like each time and so it was, yeah. was kinda of funny. So Yeah, it's nice to see a crowd that is kinda like like a lot of different people can can do this music, you know. Yeah. So. I saw Laurie Anderson when she went to Montclair she did a concert at Montclair when my daughter was going to college there and we went. And that was a it was an interesting experience. There was a lot of projected like words on the back of the stage. Yeah, yeah. I I didn't really notice the audience so much. You know, I you know I don't pay attention to that stuff really. Maybe I should because I'm you know I'm more focused on what's happening on the stage rather than what's going on around me. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't, thankfully, I wasn't, like, over I was, like, a really nice, like I said, feel-good show, so I wasn't, like, over-analyzing the crowd, <laughs> worrying about my place in anything or any of that kind of crap, which happens sometimes, but, no, but this was, it was just, it was just nice. Yeah. I want yeah, more, like, of, more of that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, you should, you should have more of that. Are they done touring, or are they they like to go off for the other coast at this point? Or? They just finished. Like I think DC was one of their last shows, and then I just mm-hmm. saw a post by them back in England, like oh, okay. saying like, "Oh, great tour, blah blah blah." And then I like, <laughs> I think I commented like that I really liked them, and I said, "I said uh, it was great to see you in DC," and then I said like, "Go to Melbourne sometime for Matt Bird," because <laughs> <laughs> he was um, he was complaining that like the u.s people are getting to see all these shows because we were kind of watching that was actually the other fun part watching all my different friends on the discord like it's like oh they're here in new york oh they're here in california like, <laughs> kind of seeing the show across the country and so yeah, he was like wow yeah it would be great if they came here <laughs> so i hope they do sometimes and and i also put in a word for philly so okay it probably won't be on the same tour probably but... not <laughs> that would be a very long tour That's cool. Yeah, and I've been listening to Kingston Boogie. That's their that's the song okay. up there that's been on instant replay like today, so Maybe, Oh, alright. Yeah, that's like I don't know, it's my jam today. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thank you for letting me tell you why this was so
When you hear the words nonprofit organization, what comes to mind? Is it a place your dog called home before finding you? Is it an organization that supports accessibility? Is it a place that ensures your safety and that of those you love? That protects endangered wildlife and habitats or fights for our most basic needs? It's impossible to show all the ways nonprofit organizations make a difference in our world. One animal, one person, one cause at a time, but it's not impossible to be part of it. When you give what you have to a nonprofit organization that needs what you can give, you help promote, protect, and strengthen the reach of these incredible organizations. The Nonprofit Alliance is here, helping connect people like you to the nonprofits that enrich your life, your community, and the world we share. Reach out to a nonprofit organization that inspires you today to find how you can help make the world a better place. I am very excited to be here with Robert Brooks Cohen. Robert is a writer, content creator, and life coach living in Los Angeles. He spent seven seasons writing and producing for Law & Order SVU, and in 2019, he created Two Bi Guys, a podcast about sexual fluidity, masculinity, and the gender spectrum. His first book, Bisexual Married Men, Stories of Relationships, Acceptance, and Authenticity, was published by Rutledge in 2023. So yeah. welcome. Hello. Hi, Robin. And thank you. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me. I've been a fan of the podcast and it's nice to uh, finally connect. Likewise, I'm a fan of Two by Guys. And I have to admit, I'm fanning out a little bit here. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see you and good to meet you. Yeah. Uh, albeit over, you know, video. It's, it's We'll be on the same coast eventually, I, I imagine. <laughs> this is how you meet people these days. You meet virtually across the country. And then like five years later, you say hi in person. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> That's very true. So I, I know a bit about your origin story just because I've been listening to the podcast, but for our listeners, can you give a little elevator speech of who you are, you're coming out, and find the community around bisexuality, whatever you want to sort yeah. of introduce yourself with? Sure, absolutely. So I'm Rob. Uh, I, I'm 38 years old, which, which I say is like, to give some of the timeline, like I came out in my early 30s, around 31, 32 after like a year or two of exploring that by myself without sharing it with most people. But until like my late 20s, I pretty comfortably identified as straight. And maybe there were some thoughts that came in otherwise, but I was, I didn't really give them much thought. And I thought, oh, everyone has those thoughts and it's not important. And, or I saw, especially growing up, I saw sexuality as very binary and the only choices were gay and straight. And I was like, well, I, I like girls. I'm dating women. I, like all of that feels good and natural. So I was like, I must be straight. And these other thoughts must just be some, some other thing that I don't have to think about. And that was how it was like through my teens and twenties. And then just like over time, those other thoughts didn't go away in fact, at times they got stronger and I just started to realize like maybe that is something and it coincided with like learning about bisexuality and gender fluidity and just like starting to look at gender differently as a spectrum. 
and kind of once I did that, then it also broke down the ba- the binary of sexuality of like, well, why, why is it so binary? Why does one affect the other? And so for years I was a TV writer and I was straight identified at work all the time. I wrote for, wrote for SVU and then right when I left SVU, it really coincided with pushing myself to come out and pushing myself to like address this stuff. And I addressed it first by going to a bi discussion group in New York City. And I would talk about it. It was called Bi Request. And I would talk about it with strangers, even though I wasn't yet comfortable talking about it with friends and family. But after maybe two or three months of talking about it in that group, it really helped me get comfortable. And and the strangers became friends. And I saw how normalized this was for them. And so pretty quickly, once I started talking about it there, I was on a path to coming out and telling friends. And probably within a year of that, Alex and I, who I met at By Request, we started the podcast because we just didn't, the conversations we were having in that group, we didn't really see them elsewhere or, you know, on podcasts or in public media, especially not male bisexuality. Like we really struggled to find stuff that we connected with from that angle. And so we just created it. And then now I do my own therapy sessions on my podcast and just talk about everything. (laughs) That is really great. I'm familiar with by request. I don't get up there to meetings too often, but I usually, I wound up marching with the bi contingent in Pride in New York. And so I know a lot of folks from there, which is cool. Yeah, Yeah. I marched with them in 2018 and another year too, I think. Yeah, but that was when I really sort of came out (laughs) to the world. Nice. Maybe Very we were there cool. together. Probably. I'm, I'm thinking. I don't remember which years I might have skipped, but uh, that's interesting. So what led you to begin compiling these stories specifically for the book uh, Bisexual Married Men? Yeah, uh, it very much came from the podcast. Like in our second, in our first season and second season, we did episodes or even just a segment of an episode about by, about by men who are married to women, or at the, in the one of the first segments was a documentary producer who was talking about men who are married to women who are sexually fluid, but who may not even identify as bi. Anyway, every time we talked about that subject, I got so many messages from listeners saying like, I'm a bi man married to a woman. Thank you for talking about this. Or like, I'm not out to my wife. Can you give me some advice? Or I came out to my wife last year and it's been great. Like, you know, I'd love to share my story with you. And then I also started to notice all of those episodes would have more downloads than the ones around it, like, you know, 20, 30% more. So just I realized that that topic was resonating the most with my listeners, like by men. And it makes sense because I think like, younger bi people a they're not yet getting married and also like maybe they're struggling with it a little less i mean not that there's not struggles but like it's becoming a little more normalized whereas older men who are bi and are married they often didn't get to explore it before they got married or didn't even come out or didn't realize it until into their marriage 
And it's such a unique struggle that's so hidden because most of these guys are not out. Maybe they're out to their wife or a couple people, but most of them sort of pass for straight within those relationships. So, so basically I noticed that topic was resonating and then it was summer of 2020 and I was like, didn't know what to do with myself, pandemic, like we were cooped up. So I just started reaching back out to these guys that had written to me on social media. And I was like, can I interview you about this? Because I was also like, I, I since got married to my wife. At the time, we weren't married, but we were like thinking about it. And I was like, I want to know what these marriages are like. I want to know how they navigate their bisexuality within a marriage and how they navigate non-monogamy or, or not. So I really just did it for my own interest. I didn't know it was a book. I thought maybe it's a podcast series or some other thing. And over the next couple of years, it just kind of morphed into a book and I got a book deal and I did more interviews once I got the deal and that's the book. That's amazing. So it really just sort of, it, it, it happened organically in a way. It just, you weren't yeah. sure if, if it was going to be what it would be. And so that's, yeah, very. that's good to know. And, and also like, I don't, you know, I'd love to write more and do more interviews with more people in the bi community. Like, I don't think bi men married to women is more important or valid or anything like that. It's just that I chose that group to start with because I think there's a lot of people in that group. Like, it's a bigger group than anyone realizes. And it's one of the most hidden groups. Like, 88% of bi men are not out especially if they're in a marriage, it's probably even higher than 88%. And so there's just really very little resources for this group in particular. And so I just wanted to start with that. Right. And I feel like there's a lot of particular fear around that group too. Like there's, there's stereotypes of, you know, the down low and the, you know, people being deceitful or dangerous or all those kinds of things. So it's, I think it's refreshing to hear a lot of different stories, you know, real stories from people. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there is so much stigma around that. Like, if you're married, like, why is it important if you're bi? Like, why tell anyone? Does that mean you're going to cheat or you're not happy? And and that was right. Like, it's hard to just say, no, that's not true. But if you read a dozen stories of real people, that just that kind of stigma sort of falls away because you see their real lives and what they're really struggling with. And like, none of them are like, you know, that stereotype. They all, almost everyone I interviewed, like, loves their wife or the relationship wasn't good for other reasons. Some of them left, some of them did break up. But, but the bis- how the bisexuality plays into that is often not what people imagine. People assume the worst. And it's much more complicated. Right, right, absolutely. What do you think about bisexuality in the media now? It's funny, like when you were talking about not feeling like you saw yourself represented anywhere. Like I came out probably a couple decades earlier. I was very, very young Uh when I came out. And also I'm considerably older. So (laughs) it's kind of a combination of those two things. So in the late 70s, early 80s, there was... I felt like it was very visible, like David Bowie and Elton John and, and um, so a lot of things in media were starting to talk about coming out and things like that. So I was mm-hmm. I felt very lucky to have 
seeing people that were queer, you know, I'd be like, oh, that's that's a thing I can be, you know. And I definitely yeah. struggled after the fact, not, not within myself in terms of like I felt good about myself, but realizing like, well, the rest of society might have other issues or something. But it's mm-hmm. interesting that it maybe it goes dormant, like you know, bisexuality gets <laughs> talked about for a while and then it's. Yeah, gone again or something. You every know, for, every twenty seven years, the buys <laughs> emerge from from the ground. Um, well, right, yeah, well, the cicadas. Yeah, system, yeah, right? yeah, exactly. <laughs> Buy cicadas. That's interesting. I'm. I, I mean, I'll answer that, but I'm curious. When you remember stuff like that, was it people coming out as queer or gay or lesbian, or what? Did you hear about bisexuality specifically? I heard about bisexuality specifically, especially cool. with with Bowie and Elton John. That uh-huh. those were the two that were like, oh, and um, Billie Jean King. <laughs> oh, <laughs> she uh-huh. got outed and whatever. It was like oh, it wasn't a great situation, but the word was there. You Interesting. Know? That's yeah. good. I mean, that's that's awesome. I'm glad that that happened. I feel like it didn't register for me growing up in the '90s, mostly like coming out was a big thing and that was starting to be in media and like gay and lesbian characters I did grow up with and what what was hard for me was I didn't connect with those stories like a lot of the gay and lesbian stories were like I was born this way and I just don't feel the same about the opposite gender as other people you know there there was a lot of like guys who are not attracted to women and that's how they knew they're gay and I just didn't connect with that stuff. And right, right. I think I've always been like an ally, but I never saw myself as part of that group or never even really thought about coming out until I really like got specific by visibility and specific by representation. And I, I just feel like I wasn't aware of it until maybe my late teens and then more and more into my 20s, like, I started hearing a little bit. I remember Raul Esparza was like the first bi man that I really like knew was bi. Even Bowie and Freddie Mercury and stuff, I didn't know they were bi until later. I don't know why I how I missed that, but but yeah, I I just think like there's there's more lately now like specifically bi stuff and using the word bi or f- fluid or queer characters who are clearly sort of crossing the gender spectrum or interested in people across the gender spectrum. But I still, I still feel like we're lacking in current media, like some of the, the reality of like the guys in my book or women in similar positions who like are older and coming out now or what it was like to be by back when you came out as by like, I still think there's there's a lot more we can explore. A lot of what we see now is is nice, but it's like kids and high school and they're fluid and it's great, but it's a different version of than than what, you know, I went through. Um, sure. Yeah, I'm sure we have really different stories about the the things we heard growing up too and just the, you know, the trajectory of how people needed to navigate the world and that sort of thing. Yeah. Definitely different stuff. So that's actually a question like I, I I wonder sometimes how much you think media that bisexuality gets is positive. Because a lot of it, I think, maybe it leads to just very, like, uh, 
faulty ideas or sensationalistic things. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I wonder what you, uh, if that, if that ultimately helps or is it, does it really like, I don't know. I, yeah, no, I, you're, I think you're spot on. Like there's a lot of representation that doesn't help and that, and that narrows down the bi experience to like, Oh, I can't choose between a man or a woman. Who am I going to choose? And it's like, I, I don't, maybe bi people are in that situation sometimes, but that's not the primary bi experience for me or for most people I know. And it's not like um, a game show or something like that. That's right. what I think of, you right. know, like right. a dating show or something weird. Yeah, exactly. And and yet that's often what the storylines are in, in a show where that has a bi character. So I do think it's there's room for improvement and there's some like sensationalism and like, you know, playing into those stereotypes. But I also think there's some there's some better stuff lately. And there's some very real like, like uh, one that just comes to mind is I May Destroy You, which was an awesome, awesome show that had a black bi male character who now I'm going to forget it because it was a couple years ago, but I think it was like he had mostly dated men before, but now he was out as bi and starting to date women and it showed him on a date and like navigating the complexities of that. And that to me was so interesting and real where it's like, it's not like, which will I choose? It's like, how is it hard to date women when you've been dating men for a long time and when you're identifying as bi and what comes out from that and what, you know, I think that, media that focuses on how bi people deal with biphobia is good because we deal with biphobia a lot but media that is itself biphobic is not good <laughs> and, and it's so a great. and it's a it's a subtle distinction because both involve a depiction of biphobia and so sometimes it's hard to tell but i think like if the whoever created it or wrote it has experienced those things they're telling it from a slightly different lens and it's, and it's important. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm having some of the same thoughts about the polyamory in the media right now where, it, yeah. you know, that is a definitely a cyclical thing where it'll show up every couple of years. And it, it seems like they're telling like these expository stories again, you know, in some ways, but I think there's a dating show right now, couple to thruple or something like that. It's like, <laughs> yeah. And yeah. it looks a little, it doesn't look like anything I want to watch, <laughs> I'll say that, but I want to, I'll find out about it because I'll read other people's, you yeah. know, assessments of it, I guess. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, poly, polyamory and non-monogamy is, is very much in the news. Like right now, there was like a New York Times thing and a New Yorker article and a multiple other like think pieces about it. And yeah, I guess that's cyclical. It's nice that it's becoming more talked about. I think that that can't hurt. But yeah, a couple of, I don't know about couple to thruple. I would like to see a reality show about like a polycule of like six or seven people and just like show me their lives and how do they communicate and how do they navigate their different relationships and like what how do the metamors treat each other like your 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 partner's partner that stuff to me is really interesting and that i haven't seen in a show about polyamory a lot of the shows are always like a monogamous couple opens up their marriage and it destroys their marriage it's like yeah that's a typical cool. story. yeah <laughs> exactly great. haven't seen that before 
<laughs> right, right. Oh, boy. Anyway, we progress. You yeah. know, I don't know. It's not necessarily a straight line, right? Yeah. One step, That's two true. steps forward, one step back. Right. Oh, and now I'm going to sing. No, I won't sing that song. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> who is that? Paula Abdul. That's who oh. it is. Anyway. <laughs> Random. Okay. <laughs> um, so are there a couple stories in, in your book that, you know, you'd like to mention that either resonate with you or maybe something that were very different from you that felt noteworthy? Yeah. Or I'm sure they're all your babies yeah. in, in one way but, or another, but... Yeah, they're all so different. I interviewed 13 guys. They're all, I mean, and I intentionally selected them. It's not random. So they're all sort of different parts of the country, different types of people, different outcomes in their marriages. I, I, a lot of them stick with me. The, I mean, there's one that, that I like to talk about that sticks with me a lot. And I've met him multiple times now in the book. His name is Quentin and he like, grew up like uh oh god i'm blanking on the word like very a christian fundamental religion and just really like intense religious conditioning about like keeping women pure and what men should do and and what ended up happening was that because they were taught to keep women pure the boys would just fool around with each other instead and no and no one would call it gay it was just like what they did and so he had all this interesting journey of like reconciling that which was different from my experience of like jewish summer camp but also similar cuz stuff like right. that happened so it was interesting to see like how different our lives were and yet we both had these like sexually fluid charged moments that should have clued us in earlier, but neither of us came out until later in life. And then what really sticks with me about his story is like, he he's he was got married to his wife young, they had three kids, they were together for decades. And they got divorced actually during, you know, while I was working on the project, they weren't they were struggling with it when I first interviewed him. Then I interviewed him again later, and they had decided to separate. And what I found so fascinating and moving about the story was that they have so much love between them even now in fact their love almost is more honest and pure now because everything is out there on the table and they're not trying to be something for each other that they couldn't be like before he came out and before they really talked about this stuff they were not their authentic selves with each other and in many ways, the marriage was great and worked, but in that big fundamental way, they were not totally connected to each other. And it caused issues and it caused psychological distress and it caused both of them in their separate ways to suffer, often alone. And when they finally like went through all this and decided to separate, that was really hard. And he talks about the grieving process and he talks about how scary that was and how upsetting it was and now on the other side like he doesn't regret coming out he doesn't regret anything he is like proud of the choices they've made as his wife at one point said like early i don't know if i can ever forgive you for some of this stuff and within like six months he brought that up because he was holding on to it and she said like oh 
I totally forgive you. I've totally let that go. And what she said to me, we had lunch with, I had lunch with both of them is like, now that they're separated, there's still so much love between them, but the container for that love has changed. And they consider their marriage a success, even though it ended. And in fact, had it continued, that might not be a success because it shouldn't have continued. And so anyway, that's a long version, but it really just helped me realize like the measure of success in a marriage or any relationship is not how long it lasts, but the quality of it when you're in it and the love and honesty, I think. And so, so many people just, I think, are shooting for making something work and sticking it out and lasting till they die. And I, it this his story really helped me reframe like what's a successful relationship, and it's not just does it last forever. Right, right. That's yeah. That is actually really good to hear, and I think it's great that once you start thinking outside of the box in some ways, that you're able to extend that to other things. Like a lot of people in a very sort of heteronormative world you can't be friends with your ex like you have to hate your ex you can't you know what i mean or whatever right, right. or just not or you're not a, a quote unquote allowed to talk to them or something if you're with someone new or all those things and it's like uh, yeah it's really beautiful when you can find what else is there you know i totally I agree really cool. that always that always was weird to me that you you're not supposed to be friends with your ex and like i have been friends with many exes not all of them cuz Right. You sometimes. know, sometimes you shouldn't. Sometimes <laughs> exactly. you got into it not realizing what it was, and it's bad, not healthy. But a lot of the times, like, there are good reasons you got into this relationship and that you two connected and you like each other. And even if it isn't the perfect partnership or primary partnership, like, why does that mean you throw every part of it away? Like, there, are, there were good reasons for being together. So, like... I agree with that, that the ways that we're conditioned to look at relationships under heteronormativity is very backwards in a lot of ways. Right, right. So one other question I have is, I, I, I hear a critique often of left-leaning media and of activism too, that we are really hyper-focused on identity politics. And I don't entirely disagree with this sometimes. I think I think it takes some turns that are not good for us ultimately but at the same time I really think that our stories are important you know this book and and all the stories that we have to tell are really important so do you have thoughts on this and how to navigate to some of the other issues we need to talk to each other about you know and I mean yeah and I hear that criticism and like to me it's like it's so reversed and it's like calling the kettle the pot kettle black or whatever that phrase is like (laughs) like the right is who's obsessed with this identity politics stuff like they're the ones harping on it we're just saying like here are some words to describe yourself and here's a word that that i like and that makes me feel good about myself like who the fuck cares i mean like not who i mean it is important right like but just like why why do people care so much to to attack those things and to say, no, you're not that, or that, that shouldn't be like, just like let people talk about themselves however they want. And like, and they're all, and, and I think a lot of these newer labels that are coming up are so valid because they're, 
identity is so much more complicated than what it's been reduced to historically for a long time. And like the bi is one example, like where bi, it, the word has existed, but it was hidden. And so we're bringing, we're bringing it forth more and now it's more widely known. And what's like, what's the harm in that? And it's the same with like, you know, a non-binary identity or something like the right is so obsessed with, with like claiming this shouldn't exist or what does this mean? Or like, but people who are so many reasons why I don't exist now, I should, I probably (laughs) should collect medals or something, you know? (laughs) Yeah, I know. But it's like, it's like a non-binary person is just like trying to tell you how they feel and how they, what a word they like to identify with. Like, okay, like, cool, and move on. What I don't get what there is to attack about that. It's like, I I just think it's the other side that's harping on this and calling all the attention to it and making it seem like something abnormal. It's just like new language and new words that to, to share, you know, how we fit into these systems. And like, and then I mean, I guess on the deeper level, it's like, they don't want to rethink these systems because like the way things were in the past is is better for certain people and they want to keep it that way and the more we explore and unearth these things and have new words and new labels like that feels threatening to those people and like i just think that that's dumb <laughs> and I, and i think that and i think that like pe- i guess it's like a lot of people with privilege don't want to lose it, but they don't realize that like being in these categories, in these hierarchies, it hurts everyone. And it also boxes them in at the top. Like even when I identified as a straight white male, it was more invisible to me, but I was forced into a way of being and a way of being masculine that wasn't so comfortable for me. And I had to learn the language before I could identify something else and then feel a different way. It's like the language can help you like assess what this is and come to terms with it. And that can change how you feel and how you act and how, and so like, I think people are afraid of that if they might lose some privileges, but it's better for them too on a, soul level like it's more freeing for them also even though it might feel scary so i think i don't know and do you feel like do you ever encounter that in left-leaning circles as well like does it do you feel like any sort of identities block each other people from talking to each other or that sort of thing yeah i mean i guess i guess i do feel there's some degree of like like, I don't think it's bad to identify a certain way and share that, but I do think then sometimes the left gets into a little bit of policing identity and label wars. And, like, that, I think, can sometimes be distracting from the the bigger causes and the solidarity that's necessary. Where it's like, for example, to me, like, pansexual and bisexual are, like, 99% overlapping circles that, like the distinction is interesting intellectually, but if it's dividing the community and causing us to dislike each other or not work together because we're fighting over a label, it's a huge disservice to both causes because we have so much more in common 
than what that distinction is. I wrote a whole chapter in my book about what the distinction is to me, but I think like in queer, the queer community in general and the left progressive community in general, like we have so much more power when we work together in solidarity and stand up for each other. And so it's like good to some degree to have these, these smaller debates within ourselves as long as we don't let it get in the way of the of working together for the bigger things. So we have to be a little careful. Yes, I, I realized, well, well, well before Twitter became the shit show that it is now, I realized I can't watch the debates on Twitter about, because it's, it makes those minute differences look huge. Right. And I was like believing that like this was the issue of the day or something yeah. and, and it really mostly is not <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. right and you also so. on on twitter or social media stuff like that gets amplified because there could be a dozen people ranting about that and it seems like it's what everyone's talking about but it's actually literally a dozen people and like we don't you know when you ask someone who isn't on twitter about what's going on in the bi community, they would never mention that. Like, and so that's important to recognize also that social media is not reality and like how, what's important to actually get done in reality and how do we get there? Yeah, that's definitely a good lesson. (laughs) So what's coming up for you? Do you have appearances or new writings coming up or anything like that? Yeah, I am speaking i don't know when this podcast will come out but i'm speaking at the bi wellness conference in los angeles on march 2nd which is hosted by the la bi task force i've been on a bunch of podcasts talking about my book and like all all my future all my past appearances and future appearances are on my website which is robertbrookscohen.com i've been also like speaking at private like by men's support groups and stuff like that since the book came out. I spoke at a group called Gamma. If if anyone is bi married man, Gamma is a great organization to join. I'm speaking in October at a Minnesota bi conference, but that's a long way away. That's all I can think of at the moment, but hopefully I'll speak more about the book and this topic. And my Mostly what I'm writing at the moment is fictional film and TV stuff. A lot of it is based on, you know, by by book or by themes or trans, you know, trans and non-binary characters. Like I'm trying to explore a lot of that in my film and TV work. Hopefully something will happen with those soon. But in terms of like books and stuff, I haven't started yet, but I'd love to do more oral history stuff. I really liked doing this oral history. I love just like sharing people's stories because I can tell you what I think and write a whole chapter about my view, but, or anyone can, but like, I really think what changes people's perception of things that they have an idea about is reading a real story of a real person. I think that does so much more than like explaining something in theory. And so I want to do more like this book I want to do something about polyamory too, because it's like, it's the it's a hot topic, but it's something I'm exploring and it's difficult to navigate, but also rewarding. And even a lot of my straight friends are interested in that too. So I'm thinking about maybe some kind of oral history that is focused on non-monogamy. We'll see. I'll keep you posted. 
Very cool. All right. Anything with the podcast? Yeah. And then, so I've been on a short hiatus since I did the podcast season about my book. I interviewed, I re-interviewed men from the book on the podcast, those who were willing to be become not anonymous. And then I have a few episodes left that'll come out probably in April to finish my book season. I've been interviewing other bi authors. And then... And then I'll take another hiatus between seasons and hopefully come back again for season eight. We've been, we're, we're, we've done seven seasons now over like five, four and a half, five years. Yeah, but my, my plan is to keep it going because there's so, I have a huge list of cool by people to talk to and including you, you should come on at some point. That would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, so I'm, I'm planning to keep it going. Yeah. Very good. Well, the book is Bisexual Married Men, Stories of Relationships, Acceptance, and Authenticity. And the podcast is Two by Guys. And it's been great to talk to you, Rob. Yeah, so <laughs> great to talk to you. Thanks for having me on, Robin. This was really great. Absolutely. You can find The Leftscape online pretty much everywhere as at Leftscape, whether you're on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and hopefully some new platforms eventually. As now that Blue Sky is open without invite codes, we can we can make an account there for the podcast. So yes. I'll, I'll do that. that so we'll be on Blue plan. Sky soonish in the next couple of weeks. Nice. Well, I'm Robin Renee, and you can find me on Facebook at Robin Renee Fan or Instagram at Robin Renee Music and on X Twitter at Spirit Rock Sexy, but not too often anymore. <laughs> and if you're on Discord, you can find me as Andrew Genus, or just let me know you want to connect, and I will connect with you there. And you can always check out my radio show on Mixcloud.com slash Robin dash Renee. And that's a lot. So you'll <laughs> find links to the, all this stuff somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> on the show notes. Yes, on the show notes. <laughs> and I am Wendy Sheridan, and you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Wendy Cards, on Blue Sky at Vox Woman, and on Etsy at Wendy Cards with a Z. <laughs> so until next time, keep left. Keep left.